Hello, welcome to the latest edition of Getting to Know You, our podcast with Alan Podish and Jeff Hawker. Thank you for listening. This is Getting to Know You, a podcast introducing Jewish Federation of the Desert, Alan Podish uh, to leaders, influencers, and people of interest in the Coachella Valley. I'm Jeff Hawker, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Alan Potash. How are you today, Alan? Jeff, I'm great. I'm very excited by our guest today. Who did you bring? I brought Marnie Mincy, who is the executive director of the Palm Springs Friends of Philharmonic. Great. Well, welcome. Thank you. Thank I'm delighted you. to be here. And I just want to thank you for already including me in a couple of events that you've put together. And most recently, um, I enjoyed the Israel Philharmonic when yes. they were here a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Just blew me out of the water. It was it was a phenomenal program. I, I have to say that uh, everyone's still buzzing about that concert. Uh, it featured, uh, for those of you who were not there, uh, it featured their new artistic director and uh, conductor, Lahav Shani, who is 32 years old, Jeff, correct me? I believe that's <laughs> yeah. correct. I mean, unbelievable. And, unbelievable. And it was this amazing program of the Benheim work, Symphony Number no. 1, and the Mahler's First Symphony. And he conducted it from memory. Yeah. And, uh, and and there was a huge orchestra. It was an extraordinary event. So I'm glad you were able to be there with us. It was, it was remarkable. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. bringing it to our community. Yeah. Oh, it was our pleasure. So, so before we get into really, you know, the Philharmonic, the Friends of the Philharmonic, tell us about you and, and how you got here and why you do what you do. Well, um, I'm one of those many people, I, I chuckle and say, well, I flunked retirement. <laughs> Um, I have a probably a 40-something year career in um, arts administration. I uh, have a, uh, my background is music. I have a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in music, piano performance. Uh, but I knew way back when that uh, I did not, performing was not necessarily my forte. I was good, but I wasn't great. And to succeed in this business, you have to be great. Um, so back then I decided, you know, I liked answering phones and filing cards and doing all that stuff one does in an office. And I thought, well, you know, maybe there's a <laughs> career here for me. And uh, so I put together my own little package of arts administration. And I figured, well, I know what it's like to perform because I've done it. Uh, and so maybe that will make me an even better manager. And so it has proved very valuable uh, to be able to actually understand what a performing artist goes through when they perform and the pressures, the anxieties, the issues, mm -hmm. uh, no air conditioning blowing down on your neck when you're playing the, a piano recital, mm -hmm. uh, no lights in your eyes, just, you know, details like that that do make a significant difference. So I uh, began my career at a community music school in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, working with the Polish violinist Roman Totenberg, oh, sure. his daughter Nina Totenberg. And of course, he has a remarkable story, and it was such an amazing way to launch my career working with um, Roman, Mr. Totenberg, as I called him. Uh, and then from there, I moved to the West Coast and have been working primarily in higher education in the performing arts venues. Most higher ed institutions realize the value of a performing arts center. And so I had the opportunity to work at UC Riverside, University of Redlands, and then majority of my career in L.A. at Pepperdine University, where I was the head of their Center for the Arts. And then my last few years, I uh, decided to do something different, and I had a stint working as vice president and chief of staff to the president, which was an interesting, interesting time. Uh, so he retired. I retired. My husband and I bought a place here in the desert. 
I was having coffee with relatively, a friend. Relatively. Yeah, younger. relatively soon. Yeah. Uh, we moved here. Well, we purchased a home in 2019. And then I was having coffee with a, a colleague who had been working at the McCallum. And they said, Marnie, there's this great job out here. And you'd be perfect for it. And I'm going, ah, I just retired. And she said, uh, yeah. So but, there you go. But. So, so we, we have a similar history because that's what I did. I retired and I came out here to visit family and a job opened up and I went for it. So we yeah. have a similar thing. Yeah. And, if you're uh, good, you can't retire. I exactly. Think exactly. But, but I also have a, another comparison to you. In my early, early days, I was an artist in the schools from the Nebraska Arts Council. So I get arts administration mm-hmm. uh, as a visual artist, not as a performing artist. Mm-hmm. But I have a great deal of respect for arts organizations and how they really change a community. They do. They 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 totally transform a community. Um, uh, for example, just think about uh, the McCallum Theater. Uh, when the Palm Springs Friends of Philharmonic was founded back in 1973, our first concert was in 1974, uh, we presented the Los Angeles Philharmonic with Zubin Mehta oh. at, the, um, at the Palm Springs High School Auditorium. <laughs> and so we were there until the McCallum opened up. And, um, and just think, I mean, what a transformation it has made culturally, economically, um, the, it attracts people to live here. Now we have the new Acrisure Arena opening up, which I think is also going to be a huge asset to our community. And um, it's, it's, um, it, it, the, the economic factor of, of the arts should not be underestimated. No, yeah. I agree with you. It's very, it's very important for a community to be able to support an arts organization and then to be able to bring in such a variety of people and, and events and performances it's, it does change the face of the community, and it brings people together. Absolutely. I think we noticed, speaking of bringing people together, um, that, that resonates with me because I think one of the silver linings of our COVID period was the fact that we were not able to do that, whether it's through our faith communities, the synagogue, a church, whether it's a concert theater or whatever, or an arena watching athletic game. I think we as human beings really know what it's like to be together as one human being next to another, and we need that. And I think that we discovered that uh, in a hard way, in many ways, during COVID because we weren't able to do that. So being back together in the theater for these live performances is just fabulous, really really great. I think you touched on something that's critical today, and that is bringing people together kind of one of our mottos this year is gathering for good. Mm-hmm. So bringing together people for philanthropy, for social philanthropy, to make a difference in, mm-hmm. in our community. And, and I think that the McCallum for this community is an incredible location for the events that they bring together, but also just for, as you said, to see people in the seats. I I just think it's great. And I, I, love, I love the arts and I love, excuse me, um, Music. I have uh, twin sons who are musicians, uh, but the point that I want to make is you're you're allowing people to come back in life in live form, and that was missing during COVID. I don't think that's the same for the faith community. I'm re- reading you know, a lot of research on how difficult it is for synagogues and churches and mosques to bring people back. People are hesitant to do that, but when you have a, 
you know, a once a month performance or something, it's much more comfortable for people to come back to. So I, I want to kind of just turn a little bit. You've, um, you just recently moved here. So did I, what are the coolest things that you've experienced so far in Palm Springs, Palm Desert, Rancho Mirage outside of your work? Oh my gosh. We love being here in the desert. And I just basically say the ease of living after having lived in LA for almost 30 years is just so wonderful. I just beam every time I get, we were, I lived on campus at Pepperdine in Malibu. I mean, and everything was a destination. And, and so I can, you know, get to the Eisenhower Health Center in, you know, in 15 minutes, I can get to Target, I can get to the grocery store. And people are, and I think more importantly, that people are just so nice out here. Uh, service workers, people in the hospitality industry, you know, it, it just, it's just a different vibe. And um, it's, I, we love it. Um, I must say, though, that I'm becoming a little bit of a of a local person because now I'm a little frustrated that there's so much quote traffic (laughs) on the 111, which is really no traffic at all. But for those of us that are here year round, we sort of get used to tooling around with no one, no one of my. Well, you're also a golfer. I'm. I am. uh, I'm trying to learn how to play golf, and um, at my age, you know, retirement age, starting to learn how to swing for the first time has been a little daunting. But I'm persevering and I'm sticking with it and I'm loving it. It's fun. <laughs> I always have to correct people because they say, oh, golfing, it's not athletic. When, if you're walking 18 holes, most people use carts, but you're still walking. And I'll tell you, swinging the ball or swinging the club for 18 holes, it's a lot of exercise. It's a lot of exercise. Advil is my new best friend. Yes. <laughs> I think, and I'm not a golfer, but I think that you're right. It is a physical sport. It's also a mental sport. Mm-hmm. Um, we were living at uh, Desert Island for a short period of time while we're acclimating to the area. And the balcony overlooked you know, two of the holes. And we and you wave to the people. Well, we we <laughs> we watch the balls go into the pond, and you know we could critique people's swings, mm-hmm. but you have to look. You know, you, when you watch a really good golfer, you see how smooth the stroke is. Yep. And when you see an amateur, you see just how awkward the stroke is. Right. And uh, one of the coolest things that I experienced while watching golfers was there was a collegiate tournament that took place at uh, Desert Island, and to see these you know young adults. Uh, college students golf and their strokes were so beautiful um, that yeah. it reminded me not to go out and golf it's all well, about concentration and keeping your eye on the ball yeah right mm-hmm. well it, it's actually so segueing golf and music i think there actually is a lot of the same sort of skills at least yeah. that's what i try to tell myself is that you know when you're in music and you're performing or playing anything you you have to focus like you are in golf, and it's a solo game like it is in music. music yeah. And there's this thing called practicing, mm-hmm. and you have to practice uh, golf just like, you know, it's a very complex game. And then the difference in the swing and the rhythm and the tempo. And so I try to set, tell myself that's going to help me some of my music skills. I'm not sure that's the case, but I keep telling myself that. <laughs> I can't wait to hear you perform on the piano. Uh, mm. you, have a, you, have a, you have a show coming up? Who, me? Yeah. No. <laughs> I don't really practice anymore. So. <laughs> but the Philharmonic does. The, oh, well, the Philharmonic, we absolutely yeah. have our whole winter season uh, ahead of us. So we're, um, we open on January the 8th with the uh, San Diego Symphony. And um, 
They are bringing with them a uh, young Venezuelan conductor, Domingo Hendoyan, who will be making his L.A. Phil debut later this year. So he's a real up-and-coming um, conductor coming from the same El Sistema system in Venezuela where Gustavo Dudamel came through. Mm-hmm. It's a fab- If you don't know about El Sistema, you should uh, Google it and find out more. It's a fabulous program that the Venezuelan government started decades ago uh, for their young people, and it's developed amazing talents like Hendoyan and Dudamel and many others. Uh, Rafael Parra, who's head of San Diego Symphony, is is also who is their resident music director, is from that program. So, um, but they're bringing Anna Kiko Myers, the American violinist, who is performing on her 1734 Votop Guarneri mm-hmm. violin. Wow. And, and there's a great story about that instrument. And she is performing a new work by a Mexican-American composer, Arturo Marquez. It uh, premiered at the Hollywood Bowl last summer, had great reviews. And I actually had the opportunity to hear Anne uh, perform with Dudamel in, at the L.A. Phil, the same piece that we'll be hearing here uh, in the desert on January the 8th. And it's a fabulous work, really, really great, very accessible. You'll be dancing in the aisles, as I say. Uh, and then the second half of the program is the uh, Stravinsky Petrushka, really? which will be, you know, a tour de force piece with lots of brass and loud. Oh, can't wait. <laughs> That's exciting. So can you walk me through the process that you at the Friends of the Philharmonic go through to bring in a, a group, bring in a, an orchestra? What do you sure. do? How do you do that? Well, you know, it's, there is actually an industry behind all of this. Um, there are uh, there are basically different categories of performing arts centers. Um, you've got your big arenas that are like ten and fifteen thousand seats that attract artists such as you know Buble or Josh Groban or you know uh, on and on. And then you've got the what they call the performing arts centers which are usually between the, you know, 800 and 3,000 seat capacity. And that's the niche that we fall into. And um, there are agents uh, that represent various artists that want to go out on the road and you route them and you tour them. Um, And so generally that's how the industry works. So you develop relationships with these agents who route these events, these artists, performers. The symphony world is a little different because touring a symphony orchestra, if you stop to think about it, is a daunting task. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are 130, 40 people that you have got to coordinate. And then the orchestras that we bring in, of course, have all these union contracts with the musicians and others of how much they can travel and, and how much, how many hours in a day. And, you know, so you've got just myriads of issues to sort of calculate. Uh, and, you know, the cost of hotels, airplanes, you got to fly the string bass. Many of the orchestras actually, uh, the major ones, Chicago and others, charter their own uh, cargo planes just to fly everybody because it's ultimately ends up being less expensive. But it well, takes, these are valuable yeah. instruments oh, that they got to protect absolutely. and heavily insure. Yeah. And so there's the orchestras have to raise money to go out on tour, and then we as presenters pay them a, a significant fee to come perform for our audiences. It takes a lot of coordination um, and time, uh, and uh, we're still finishing up our 2024 season. 
you know, and we're waiting, you know, when an orchestra comes to Southern California, they need at least three contiguous okay. dates. So you've got to coordinate all of that uh, and finding access into the theater and the calendars. McCallum's schedule is very busy. They're fabulous to work with us. They take very good care of us. But, you know, there's only so many dates, days and weeks. So. Yeah. Well, and when you get into January, there's events almost every day. Oh, every, the McCallum runs seven days a week from January, well, December through the end of March. I mean, there's not an empty night in there. Yeah. It's it's remarkable what they do there. So that's very valuable to have those dates. Mm, it yeah. is. Yeah. And is that competition challenging for the Friends of the Philharmonic to work with the McCallum and other acts that, or performances they want to bring in? We, we typically book ahead uh, because the symphony schedules are so complicated that they plan, have to plan further in advance than, say, uh, a show like, you know, David Foster that plays or, or the mm-hmm. Ten Tenors. Yeah. They, so we tend to book a little earlier. Um, uh, and Mitch Gershenfeld, the CEO of McCallum, is a longtime colleague, great friend, terrific guy. In fact, you should ask him to be on this show. And um, he's he's just terrific, and we've known each other for decades. And he works very carefully with us. But you know, they they want to hold all these dates, you know, because they, everybody's trying to figure things out. But uh, it, yes, getting dates and access into the McCallum. If you're not in by a certain time, the dates are gone. And so you plan two three years in advance. It used to be uh, pre- post COVID, things are not quite back up to what was quote normal. So right now, yes, we're finalizing 2024 is what we're doing right now. We're almost done. Which is very exciting for the Friends of Philharmonic because you're going into your 50th anniversary season. It oh. is our 50th anniversary celebration. And we, if, if everything comes through as we planned, it is going to be a really, really exciting season. So, But I can't spill the beans now. No, not, just yet. Be. I would, not yet. I wouldn't want you to do that, especially <laughs> on our podcast. I wouldn't want you to get into trouble. Uh, so I think part of why I wanted to do this podcast is to really learn about your organization and you and your feelings about the Palm Desert area. You're new here, but you're not really new here. Yeah, well, I don't know what new means. We've, yeah. we've been here since 19, yeah. so I guess yeah. we're relatively new. I still get lost sometimes, so I think I am still would qualify as new. Yeah, you get lost inside the uh, neighborhood associations. Yeah, exactly. Uh, one thing I want you to kind of think about is what's been one of the biggest challenges for you coming into this area, either in the work or just the, the lifestyle of the area? Um. I haven't found the the lifestyle to be a challenge at all. I mean, you know, the summer the heat can be daunting, but you know, you it's it's not it's doable. And uh, restaurants you can easily get into, and you know, so I, I don't mind. I enjoy the summers very much. What I always tell people, and Marnie had the uh, joy of spending a month in San Diego, yeah. is this is a really great place to live if in the summer months you can go to the coast and enjoy the weather out there, right? Right. So you really need yeah. to leave in August and September. Yeah. Well, you know. Maybe even longer. Maybe. <laughs> I, I will, you know, you, you talked about how the community changes. I noticed that a lot of restaurants close in August and September. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of a shock. Yeah. Well, there's plenty open, though. So it's, I, I I'm not, uh, I enjoy my time here. I'm starting to become accustomed to it. Uh, the heat. I would say, though, that the thing that, I think that struck me when I first moved here and started working in this community 
is that um, it's, a, it's a, a slower lifestyle and there's an ease of living here, even within the work environment. Um, you know, I think you, you forget sometimes when you work in a major metro area like Los Angeles and people say it's laid back. It is not laid back. It's a very intense and competitive work environment. You've got, it is, in my opinion, the entertainment and artistic capital of the world right. is Los Angeles. The greatest talent is there. So you're working, you know, if you're in the creative field with the best of the best. And that's an intense environment. And so when I came out here, I, I think I had a little, I tend to be a little uh, intense. lively, intense, <laughs> <laughs> intense. You can ask my colleague Jeff about that. And so I've had to sort of dial myself back a little bit, which has been a good thing, a good thing, because uh, uh, anyway, so that's the only thing I've sort of observed my, about myself out here. One of the jobs that I had previously to starting my own business, my boss said to me, when, when you go into business meetings, people like to tell stories. So have, being a listener here in the Valley is really important. Let people tell their story and then you either compliment them or engage in their story. But listening is a really good talent. It is indeed. I think that one of the things that I'm learning about this area is the laid back part. I come from the Midwest where I thought we were laid back, but this is really laid back. Uh, you commented about uh, Highway 111. Um, I've noticed that in the peak season when people are here, it is a three-minute longer drive from my house to the office. <laughs> Not 20 minutes. You know, it's a three-minute increase in time. But the laid-back nature and the comfort that people have with each other here is incredible. And I found it to be very satisfying. Marnie, I want to thank you for being with us today. Any, thank you for any, having me, Alan. Any final thoughts you have on... On the community or on your organization? Well, I, I would just like to close by, you know, just saying what an extraordinary organization. And this has nothing to do with me because I'm new and it's just, and we're almost 50 years old. It is just a remarkable organization. And the programs that we do have been able to do with the support of all of our members, our donors, our board of directors to bring these phenomenal symphony orchestras, you know, right next door to the McCallum Theater, you know, an easy drive to hear some of the world's finest orchestras. I mean, it's just a remarkable program. And so I just like to express my gratitude to all of our patrons and members and community and everyone else who helps support and make it possible. I mean, without donations and support, of course, we could not do what we do. Uh, but people really believe in the power of the arts out here and symphonic orchestra and classical music. And and that dedication is is inspiring. So well, if you, you want more information, you can go to PSPHIL.org. Perfect. Well, Marnie, thank you. Congratulations on the 50 years and your two years or three years being here. <laughs> and I look forward to attending many more events with you. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. And Jeff, thank you again. This has been Getting to Know You. Thank you for listening today. The podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts and other podcast forums.